Hello, I'm Casey Brazil, and this is Work Friends. Work Friends is a podcast about business, entrepreneurship, and work. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Mr. Paul Cade. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good, good. So I wanted to talk to Paul a little bit because he's been an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and has kind of a cool job. So cool. what is your current gig? What's your title? My title is Brewer One at uh, Goose Island Brewery. Brewer One? Is it like <laughs> violin where there's like a first chair, second chair? What does that uh, mean? It actually, it's uh, it's the lowest level of brewer at uh, Goose Island. So I'm uh, I'm one of the newer brewers. I've only been there for two months, uh, almost three months now. Help me understand. So like, what's the what do you what's is master brewer the highest level of brewer? Uh, yeah. So Jared is our head brewer. And so that's his title, and that's the highest level at Goose Island. He's in charge of all of the operations at the at Goose Island. So he's from raw materials coming in to beer going out. That's all of his domain. Um, and then under that, there's our lead brewer, who's kind of in charge of us day to day. And then there are um shift leads i'm on the the b squad so that that's from sunday to wednesday so my shift lead is taylor and then um there's one there are <clears throat> six of us on a shift um a couple of us are or there's one brewer two and then the rest of us are brewer ones it's funny i mean i guess i have known that goose island is much bigger than it was when i was first legally able to drink yes but that is an army of people making beer it is um it is is quite a few there i think there are over 20 brewers at the fulton and fulton and wood location so that's our that's our uh brewery here in chicago and that's where you make bottles to ship out all over the country that's not like a restaurant brew pub no no we do have a tap room that's recent we just opened a tap room i don't know maybe two years ago but um uh, no, yeah, this is our production facility. Gusan is also owned by AB InBev. Yeah, um, yeah. And so some of our products are made at other AB InBev breweries. Mm-hmm. 312, Greenline just got sent to uh, uh, some AB breweries. Like Honkers Ale, those big ones that you can find. At um, Aldi or at, at right, know, huge right. distribution. So th- those those are all made, or not all, but a lot of that is made at um, at AB, AB breweries either New York or, or Missouri or, I think, Colorado. Here in Chicago, we make all of our specialty brands. Cool. So Bourbon County Stout is made in Chicago. Sophie, Matilda, mm-hmm. the Sour Sisters is a Cheers. fantastic series. Yeah, and so we make, I think, the, the more interesting beers and, and kind of, for me, they're the, the fun beers to make. So, yeah, that's what we do here in Chicago. So we've known each other a, a long time, but can you give – your background about like how you got into brewing because i think you have a job that many people want like the world loves beer how did you come to be a professional beerman oh yeah good question i have no formal training in uh the art of beer making but i got into it actually via you casey what yes (laughs) correct me if i'm wrong on dates or anything but i think i was in college and you and some buddies from our our grade school that we went to grade school with were were homebrewing, and so I knew Ted Comez closely, 
And uh, and when you guys would brew together, I'd come home from college and maybe hang out with you guys as we, as you brewed. Um, and so that was my first kind of in into the craft slash uh, homebrew scene. I think you're giving me a little too much credit as like some guy who was at <laughs> Ted's house while you and he and I were all brewing. Uh, okay. I like to give you the credit. Good, good. Okay. All right. I, well, I mean, I can take credit for like Ted getting into brewing, but I okay. feel like by you, the like influences uh, has like all right. That's one falling step too off. Far. Yeah. All right. Well, you got Ted into brewing. Ted got me into brewing. There we go. And so I ran with it a little bit. Did it with Ted quite a bit, and then um, really kind of branched off into cider uh, by myself. And all of this, like to be clear, is. Not as a for-profit business, just at home, you know, yes. making beer for ourselves, for parties, whatever, hobbyists. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was all homemade stuff, no, nothing very professional about it at all. So, yeah, from from there, I jumped over into cider just as kind of a, a personal interest. And then um, I, I had had some really good cider in Europe when I was – abroad in college i had some really good cider there and so when i was doing this you know homebrewing stuff i thought oh i, I really like the cider i had in europe maybe i can uh, try and homebrew that here that was really unsuccessful yeah when you said you wanted to do that i was like that sounds impossible yeah because i knew a million guys who were beer brewers and made every kind of sour gross to delicious level of beer yeah um but yeah, well, there are some good reasons that people aren't making cider. It's it's a little bit it's a little bit harder to do on a home scale to make good homemade cider. It's harder to do, I would say, it's harder to do than good homebrew beer um, because cider really does require some specific components from apples that are really hard to get here in the United States. Yeah, there's not like brew shops that have whatever good kind of right i mean when you say components from apples you mean juice right i mean yeah right right uh, specific in uh specific uh things in juice in the apple juice that are that are pretty unique to to certain varieties of apples that we just don't produce here in the u.s hmm. it's like not an american style of yeah, apple because right. americans until recently did not drink that much Good cider, or yeah, I mean that's a value judgment, but just right. like yes. for the listener, for the like uninformed beverage drinker. So you have your ultra sweet Mike's hard lemonade, Mike's hard cider type of drinks, are not the classic kind of cider that you encounter in Europe. Right. What were you going for? What like what kind of a flavor profile or whatever like what what was your dream cider you were trying to make so there's a brand that i could throw out that i i could describe it i'll describe it sure um so what i really, i mean jump to the end you you were an entrepreneur you did this yes yeah yeah so i made cider so i you know this long whole thing about me trying to make good cider here in the u.s i didn't i i, I couldn't at the level i was at so actually i went to europe Made cider there in England, uh, I should be more specific, in Wales and in Normandy, traditionally uh, strong cider-making regions. Um, I just made cider with some farmers over there. And so then came back and then tried to uh, – I did implement that here, I think, um, to a, a, a big degree. I, I was able to make some ciders that I, I was really proud of and really happy to share with the world, sold them. 
pretty exciting. Nice. And is Normandy like the wine country of cider? It's the cider country of France? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a really good apple growing region in France. They don't grow grapes well there. So apples, everybody needs their alcoholic beverage in France. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So Normandy is the, the cider region. And so they have apples there in Normandy, Herefordshire in England, and uh, the kind of the Basque region of Spain. They all grow apples there specifically made for making cider, uh, hard cider, I should say. And the apples have, um, there are different kinds of apples, but generally they have higher tannin levels than U.S. apples. And then sometimes also high at higher acid levels. Let me kind of go into the question, just jumping around here, but you were like, I was in Wales and Normandy, and I learned how to make good cider. Yes. But, like, fill in some of the blanks there, right? Because I have been many places and did not learn how to make the, like, traditional thing of there. So, like, how did, did you get an apprenticeship? Like, how did you meet the people you were going to be learning from? Yeah. How did you find a sensei? Yeah. Totally just reached out online to kind of whoever would listen. I threw out probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 emails. And not to like programs or anything. You just no. like found someone to, to who's like yeah, to John Siderton. Yes. Um, of all levels, I actually reached out to some of the biggest uh, French Normandy cider producers. Didn't actually hear back from them. But I did hear back from, yeah, these farmsteads that I, that I reached out to. And and that's kind of where cider tradition originates. The cider, tra- you know, is, is a really is a rural beverage historically beer being more of an urban beverage because you need a brewery to produce it. But cider, you actually, you need a lot of land. You need, usually you need a crop that's occupying that land that's actually your 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 staple crop. So both yeah. of these places that I went to, spent my majority time at in Europe, were, well, at least the one in Normandy was a, uh, a ranch. They, not a ranch, a dairy farm. Oh, okay. They raised, they had 50 cows, and that's where their primary source of income was. Milk. And cider was like, this is another thing that we can do because yeah, exactly. we have this land. Yeah. So even though cider is difficult to make as like a homebrew type thing, is it kind of lower tech than than beer? Is that like why it's more of an agrarian it absolutely beverage? absolutely can be so much lower tech. Really, all you need to do is get the juice out of the apple, squeeze the juice out somehow. There's all sorts of ways. People have been doing it for uh, hundreds of years. Um, we've gotten very good at it now. So squeeze the juice out, and the juice naturally has water, which you need, obviously. It has sugar in it. It's a fruit juice from the apples. It naturally has yeast found uh, in, and but mostly on the apple that comes you, you know, on the apple from just the environment that they come from. So those are all the things that you need for a fermentation. So you have um, everything right there in little compact pack fruit. You squeeze out the juice. You let it ferment you let it you put it in a vessel and wait until the yeast um yeast are you know uh single-celled organisms produce alcohol and co2 that's where all alcoholic beverages come from um yeah it's a pretty it can be a very simple process so when you're going to this homestead like you're not french no you don't i i don't know how good your french was then but like you had exchanged an email with some person and you were like okay, I'm going to come live with you? Because it sounds like not like an, a traditional uh, internship because yeah. like you're, it's just a farm, right? Yeah. So um, the two that I went to actually and responded to me, I found those two 
via the woofing program. Which it's um, go it's, on the podcast. I, I, I don't even know what it uh, stands for, actually. <laughs> World Organic Farming something. But basically the idea is that there are farmers who say, yeah, come live on my farm. It's I don't think it's, it's – it's not really by the books, you know. But come live on my farm. I'll, I'll put you up and I'll give you food. Mm-hmm. And you do – if you work. Okay, so it's like a way to get – Room and board. Room, yeah. If you're yeah. trying to travel. Um, yeah. But then, but I. But you weren't trying to travel. You were trying to become the cider king of America. Right. right. So I specifically talked to them, and I was like, "Well, I really, all I really want to do is make cider." So we talked about time, you know, time of year that I should come, and 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 all that kind of stuff. They were also they were also very generous and introduced other local cider makers. So I was able, especially in Normandy, able to drive around a bit. And uh, and work with a few different cider makers. Cool. And did you feel like these people had like a deep tradition and had all access to information that you wouldn't have known otherwise and couldn't have just like Google searched or whatever? So I think the biggest thing that I took away from my time in Europe was a palette for cider. I took away significant. I thought I learned a lot of actual you know cider making processes. And this is four years later, and I've been in the alcohol making industry for these past four years, and have learned and have just realized how much I didn't learn in in Wales and Normandy about the process, the the, the alcohol making process. But I did, I really did, probably develop. I did develop the palate I have now, which I consider a really good palate. Um, so for you cider. kind of learned like. This is what separates the very subtle differences between, you know, more bitter, more sweet, more uh, higher fall, higher uh, gravity, lower gravity, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so that sounds really cocky. And I'm not saying that I'm like the best cider taster in the world. It doesn't sound cocky. If this is your business, you better know. <laughs> but what I think what I would really I think I developed my taste for cider, decided what kind of cider I wanted to make, which I thought was which I actually do think now is is so important. I think there are a lot of people that go into all sorts of entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurial roles or and take on entrepreneurial stuff that that maybe don't know exactly what their value add is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came away from Europe and I knew what I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. I didn't like I have a lane. I have a lane, right? I didn't have all the tools. I thought I had more of the tools than I did, quite honestly. I didn't have all the tools. Uh, to, to make great cider, but I knew what I wanted to make. I knew I wanted to make the cider that I thought, anyways, was great. And so, f- yeah, for the past four years, I've been, well, three years after that, I was working pretty much headlong into making that cider. I made some cider. So what was that transition like? Like, you have to be coming back to reality yeah. from that, because you can't get a job at, you know, <laughs> Pierre's Farm or where right. whatever the guy's name was. But anyway, you you have to be coming back to reality, and I imagine it's kind of like harsh because you can't. No matter how good you do in your internship there, you don't. You're not making your career there. That's not where your ambitions are. How did you go from okay, now I've got skills, I've got a knowledge, I, I've got an idea of what I want to create in the world. Like, how did you put that into practice? It was it was a it was a struggle. That was probably my my least strong. Point. You know, I wasn't I wasn't very good at putting that into practice for a number of reasons. Sounds very hard. <laughs> it, it, I, and I'm sure there are entrepreneurs listening who are saying, yeah, that's the hard part, I think. right? <laughs> putting that into practice because, one, I was kind of young and naive and I'm 
still young and naive, I guess. That was the hardest part. And that was like the three-year struggle was saying like, how do I take this and, and make a cider that people can pay me money for? What was your break? You, how did you just like wander the streets? And like- <laughs> I actually had a friend from high school who uh, started a brewery here in Chicago. And so that was my big into industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so like finding a mentor. Yeah, a bit of a mentor. Um, and really, he was, he, I mean, he is and was, he had, he's very complimentary to me. Um, he loves paperwork. He loves the idea of, you know, filling out the form properly and then sending it to the federal government and saying, you know, like, we'd like uh, to make wine. Uh, cider is technically a wine, according to the federal government. We needed a winery license. He loved that part. He did it. I helped a little bit, <laughs> maybe. But um, he was really instrumental in in getting all of the ducks in a row so that I could make cider. So, yeah. I would imagine he was also a model, right? Because this is someone yeah. who has a brewery already. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing what you wish to do. Exactly. And you can kind of take some lessons from what they're doing. Even though brewing beer is so different from cider, as yeah. we kind of already talked about a little bit definitely it was it was not only that he he helped actually physically do it but he helped me see what this could look like in chicago Mm -hmm. and not on a farm in france so what did it look like what did it like when you got things up and running i know that you could buy your site like what 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 was the so um, what it looked like is I basically rented space from the brewery, uh, my friend's brewery. Um, I also worked there nine to five. So I worked. That was my first job in the industry, too. This is Beguile. You don't have to say my friends. Oh, Thank my you. friend's brewery, Beguile Brewing. I worked there nine to five, Monday through Friday. And then nights and weekends, I came in, basically rented space from them to make my cider. Cool. And then how did you distribute or how could people buy it or did you like... They could uh, they could come, the Beguile had, Beguile had a tap room, so they could come in and, uh, and buy it directly from Beguile mm-hmm. um, in pints or growl, you know, pints to consume on premise or growlers to go. Um, I also sold kegs um, to local bars and restaurants. Um, and then... Uh, an opportunity came up to uh, be a brewer at Goose Island, and I said, man, that's an opportunity that doesn't come around a lot. I imagine that's a hard thing to weigh, though, because you have, like, this is your baby. If you don't make this beer, nobody's going to make it. The cider. The cider, rather. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. But really, my decision came down to, like, I, the more, I still have a lot to learn um, about the entire industry. Um, and so I can, you know, I kind of thought to myself, I can kind of just tough it out and try and make mistakes and not too big mistakes that like put me out of business, mm-hmm. but you know, good enough mistakes where I learn all of these, these intricacies, or I can go to the people who have been doing it the best in Chicago for, you know, 20, 27 years. And yeah, it, it was a really hard decision, but at the end of the day, I thought that, I can always I can always make cider. Yeah. You know, I can no always one find can a way. stop you from right. making cider. You can't necessarily pick that business right up. Yeah. But you can always make cider and no one can stop you. And yeah. or maybe you can. I mean, what what's your thought about that? Like are you like, hey, if in three years something changes, I could go back and, and brew cider again? Or are you like, that's a chapter that's open and closed? 
I've been thinking about this a lot. For me right now, it's um, I'm I'm kind of an introverted person. I'm a pretty risk averse, and I found that the entrepreneurial lifestyle was a little bit hectic for me. You have to have a tolerance for risk. You have to have a lot of tolerance for risk. I mean, um, that's easy for me to say. I never did it. You did. Yeah, you know? no, and and I did it. And my hats off to all the entrepreneurs out there. I I you know I think that it's a it's a really admirable lifestyle. I said not right now for me. That's not what I want to do right now. I am in a phase where I'm just really happy. I'm happy to learn, and I'm I'm at a place where I can do that. I'm also at like you know this mega corporation AB InBev, which has a lot of upsides to it. Absolutely. You know. Oh man, people, just having a regular paycheck is well, nice. A regular period. paycheck is really nice. 401k stuff like that. <laughs> yes, health insurance. Hey, um, especially when you're in at a really physical, you know, do, you know, doing a really physical job. I'm constantly hurting. Well, my girlfriend showed me that my phone uh, counts my steps every day. Uh-huh. And my average steps are are in the 20,000s. But like on, How on far a, is that? We just realized we, we did the math on like a on a busy day for me. I walk 18 miles. Whoa, that's a lot. That's a lot. That was it was 40. I think it was 47,000 steps. Yeah, if you or no 37,000 steps. If you get in bad shape when you get older, yeah. you can't do that. Right, right. So, anyways, health insurance is nice. That was yeah. that was the point of that. No, um, I I mean these are these are the legit things that you have to think about when you're like, do I go out and kill what I eat? Or do mm. I have a salary gig? Yeah, like yeah. I think that's, that's it's uh, um, but I always, but I have thought, you know, like, man, in retirement, this w- that would be a fantastic little. I mean, I'm not talking about walking thirty-seven thousand, you know, steps, but like growing a few apples in retirement, making one batch a year mm-hmm. um, that I'm able to sell or something like that. That would be fantastic. I would love to do that. What it came down to was like right now is. It's a really young. It's a really young point in the cider industry. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people getting in right now with the idea that, like, oh, I could if I'm if if I'm in early, I could be huge. This would yeah. be great. And I realized that's not what I want. That's not the cider. I want, I want to make great cider. It, but you don't want to be like I'm going to take out Miller Coors. I'll show them who's boss. If I boss. take out Miller Coors, great. <laughs> but I don't want to take out Miller Coors because. I was early. I was an early adopter. I want to take out. If I do take out Miller Coors, I want to take it out because I make great cider. That bad example. I don't want to take out Miller Coors. I just want to make great cider. Yeah, it's less of an ambition to be the biggest. It's yeah. more like I have this thing that I envision, like yes. this gr- perfect cider, yeah. and that's where my ambition is: yeah. is toward making the best product, yes. not the best company, not the best distribution network not right the exactly best like i'm gonna have the best pr department yeah. or you know whatever and my friend brendan who started beguile with uh with with his other co-founders that is what he is so good at and and really really great guy and really thoughtful and you know he loved this idea of like you know if we did this that and the other then like we could have a really you know we save a lot of money here oh if we work out a deal with this person we'll save a lot of money there and the running of the business right, that is was so part interesting. of the is like a fulfilling thing it's for him. It's a fulfilling thing for him. And not that I didn't like that, but that wasn't that wasn't my goal. So Yeah, you were a home brewer and yeah. you were like, This yeah. is fun, I want to do this all the time. And now that's your job. That's my you job. You brew all day I brew long. All, I brew all day long. 
Also, a little plug. The other thing that helped me make my decision was Goose Island makes some of the best sour beers in the world. The Sour Sister series, I brought one today. Juliet, we'll have to wait, try. I can't yeah. wait. It's a fantastic uh, sour beer, along with the other Sour Sisters. And those beers are the kind of ciders that they're, they're related to the kind of ciders that I want to make. That was like You're a, a sour draw. man. I'm a sour man. I have always thought that about you. <laughs> people have, uh, people have uh, said that about me. You're a sour man, Paul. If you like this show, please, please tell your friends about it. If anybody has ever heard about this show, it's almost certainly through word of mouth. So please share the podcast on your social media and consider writing us a review on iTunes. If you would like to support us with your dollar dollar bills, which we love so much, please visit our website, workfriendspodcast.com. There you will find an Amazon affiliate link. If you click on this link, Anything you buy on Amazon, we get a little kickback from, uh, and we would appreciate that a great deal. Okay, so we talked a little bit about your background. I think also just, it's always fascinating to get a look into people's jobs, yeah. and I think I know exactly what you do because I've brewed a lot of beer in my life, mm -hmm. but I also think I have no idea what it's like to have your job, and I wouldn't have said like, oh, brewing, that's so physical. When I'm brewing at home, it's a lot of watching TV, waiting for something to get hot enough, well, or that, that's a waiting lot. for something to get cold enough. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a lot of what uh, my day is, just watching TV, waiting yeah. for things to warm up. Yeah, no, so it is, so, sorry, what was the question? What is it like to be a brewer? What is the, what is that lifestyle? It's, so you don't work nine to five Monday through Friday, like no. you just said. Yep. So what, what do you do when you like, um, show up? My job at Goose Island is I'm a brewer in the cellar. So a little bit of background into brewing for those of you who aren't uh, brewers. Really, the, the, the making of the beer process, we kind of split into two different portions. Um, the hot side, or the brew house, and the cellar, or the cold side. And so the hot side is um, making sugar water. Um, that's where actually the brewing happens. Um, our brewing tanks, we mix grain. That's where we access our sugar. We mix hops and water together at different temperatures and, and going through different processes. Our goal is sugar water at the brew house, and we make uh, sugar water. It's called wort. Um, the brew house then sends that over to the cellar. And this is where I come in. Um, and we in the cellar, we add yeast. And like I mentioned uh, previously, yeast eat sugar and produce alcohol and CO2. Depending on the beer you have, it depends how cold that yeast wants the water to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeast are finic finicky little creatures. They're um, some like warmer temperatures, some like cooler temperatures, some like more sugar, some like less sugar, some like um, all sorts of things. So the other thing that, that we do besides adding the yeast, then we monitor that fermentation. The, the yeast eating sugar and producing CO2 and alcohol is called fermentation. Um, so we monitor that fermentation, which has been um, the most interesting and challenging part of the job so far. Um, it's really about it's it's really about getting to know yeast and our specific strains of yeast that we use. Our head brewer Jared was was saying that when he was a when he was a young brewer, one that he once told his boss, uh, "I'm beginning to dream like yeast," and his boss went nuts. He's like, "Yes, that's exactly what you need to be doing." <laughs> 
And so uh, it really is getting to know the yeast, getting to know how it behaves, uh, being able to catch signs of uh, trouble early on to try and avoid them. So, and we we propagate, we grow all of our own yeast in house. So that's another big Whoa. part of my. Job. So you just have like a big mold room with all your <laughs> molds. Dude. You know, fungus room. Thank Excuse you. me. Excuse me. <laughs> a big fungus room with yeah. all your yeasts yeah. because, like, yeah, how? Yeah. What the heck? How does that happen? That's because really we did not. I knew homebrewers who would like save yeast, right? Or sometimes try and collect it, like in that yeah. old Belgian yeast style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would imagine that the level of specificity that you have at Goose Island has to be totally next level, mm -hmm. even compared to like what you would have been dealing with at Beguile. And then a, they have to be many levels above like what you would do in your homebrew style. Absolutely. This has been the biggest jump that I've made that, that I've made at Goose Island is the, is the yeast care component and the yeast propagation component. What we need to do is we start with just a few, um, a few, drops of liquid that contain a few million cells of yeast which sounds like, sounds like a lot but they're very small but they're very small they're it's so it's just a few drops of of this slurry and we need to propagate that into we need to turn that into hundreds of gallons of slurry that contains mm, slurry that contains trillions and trillions of cells that are all ready to go happy and healthy and ready to do our fermentation and by the way, they all have to be the same kind of yeast. We can't allow other yeast or microorganisms, bacteria, molds, like you mentioned. We can't let any of those other microorganisms start to grow. Which is tricky because you're making an environment that's perfect for the propagation of various funguses and other contaminants. Yeah, yeah we're making sugar water. Everybody loves sugar water. Yeah. Just ask Coca-Cola. People do. People yeah. do. And, and all microorganisms love sugar water. It's the simplest way to get energy. That's why microorganisms love it. Um, so, yeah, the tricky bit is growing these guys to be happy and healthy. Um, and only these guys, only our, our specific strains. Um, we also have a very finicky yeast strain that we've decided to use. Um, for since 1988, Goose Island has been using the same house yeast strain. And it's, it's, uh, it's a little finicky. It's very temperamental. It likes it you know things to be just so and if it's not i'm gonna either make off flavors i'm gonna wait make some weird flavor components or i'm gonna die yeah and from a product perspective you kind of have to right because there are many beers if you want your beer to not be immediately clonable and taste like every other beer on the shelf which maybe you do want in some cases but if you want to have any kind of differentiation you have to do stuff like that because otherwise it's gonna taste like the other beer you already drink yeah yeah definitely. so that's that's part of our differentiation for sure so what do you do in this process so oh, yeah, you're sorry. like you're in the yeast house you're um, in the cold house you're yeah. you're like quality controlling how like how quick is this reaction going on how much co2 is there in there you know what yeah. are the we're working we're we're, all, we're doing a lot of the physical labor a lot of the connecting this hose to from this tank to this tank because we need this slurry to go into this wort and we need this wort to go over here and the temperature is right now move right. this water into move, the slurry right. move this yeah so there's a lot of that like physically connecting hoses from different vessels to other vessels there's a lot of that but then also working closely, we have an in-house lab that does a lot of uh, uh, sampling for us, takes 
I mean, we can take pH and cell counts, but they also measure the amount of sugar and, and, and measure amount of, uh, you know, a lot of other variables that are going on in our fermentation or our propagations. Get nerdy. So, so you're, okay. so pH, you're looking at the acidity. The of acidity. It. Yeah. Sugar is sugar. similar. Like we all right. know what sugar is. Right. You said cell count. Uh, how do you figure that out? Because <laughs> you only have a tiny sample, right? You have yeah. to kind of extrapolate from yeah, that. Yeah, right, exactly. You take a tiny sample and you try and get it to be representative, but it's very that's hard to do because at some time, sometimes you're talking about hundreds of gallons um, or thousands of gallons of beer and you're trying to take a representative sample. So there are um, you know processes that we, we use to try and get a representative sample. We take that into the lab. We uh, kind of dilute it down. And then we actually stain the slurry with a dye that to look at it in a microscope. To look at it under a microscope. And the interesting thing about the dye is dead yeast cells will absorb this dye, uh-huh. um, and live yeast cells won't. So you can you can count the vi- you can count the number of living yeast cells to dead yeast cells um, as well. How do you count the living ones if they don't absorb the dye? You can still see them under the oh, microscope. Okay. Yeah. So is there? Is your job sometimes you have a little bit of beer on a slide, you're looking in a microscope, and you're manually counting, counting. We have the little clicker. yeast cells, and you're counting to like 30, and then from uh, that you right. extrapolate how much was in the sample, yeah. and from that how much is in the I, – I don't know how much you brew per – yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of cool. That's so cool. Yes, that is very cool. Um, like people yeah. would ask me how alcoholic – my beer was at home and i was like i didn't spend the 10 bucks to get the whatever gravitron gravometer i forget what what is that thing called the hydrometer hydrometer it's called yeah. a gravitron i think it's the dra- gravitron but the hydrometer measures specific gravity which is where you're getting at yeah i do also do want to say mostly our lab the the people in the lab are taking the counts i'll, I'll do it sometimes i just don't want my you know my friends in the lab to he- listen to this and say what the hell, Paul? I'm the one taking all those counts for you. <laughs> but I, just, I do sometimes do the counts. They usually do the counts. I see. I see. Well, I mean, at that level, you have specialization. So there's yeah. somebody who's like, all right, give me another slide. Right. It's time to get old Looky working again. <laughs> right. And we have 28 fermentation tanks. Uh, no, uh, thirty some odd fermentation tanks going. Usually, unless most your friend in the lab listens, you could say any number <laughs> from like a thousand <laughs> to two. I'm not gonna know. Right, right. <laughs> it's thirty some fermentation tanks, thirty some thousand fermentation tanks. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Thirty, and um, and then including the propagations that are happening, and every one of those tanks are are getting a reading. Right, pH, sugar alcohol levels we actually do measure the alcohol cell counts um trying to think what else are on our daily uh fermenter checks the temperature clearly temperature temperature, clearly um those are i mean there are those are five components at that point you've gone pretty far in depth yeah we also measure we're also able to measure some of the off flavors that come off so uh like diacetyl we 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 measure a chemical we we measure vdk which represents a off anyway we we measure off flavors and so we try and we try and reduce those we measure the and ddk is like a living thing that's in that your or is it just like a byproduct of the yeast or what yeah is it? V- vdk vdk, VDK um usually known as most commonly known as diacetyl 
is a is a chemical compound, and there are some chemical compound. There are some precursors to that chemical compound that are included in VDK. Chemical. It tastes kind of like it tastes like buttered popcorn. That's what people say, mm-hmm. and um, and so we measure it. Um, because yeast produce it, they usually will also reabsorb it after fermentation. But um, if your yeast is, you right. know, what, there was a lot of it, then too much of it died too early. Yeah, you have you have poor after. VDK reduction, and then. But how do you test for that? Like, is it like a pH strip where you just put something in, and you're like, if it turns blue, that's bad, or whatever? Um, no, actually, it's kind of cool. You can you can test you can taste it obviously, so you can do it that way. More people, some people are more sensitive than others. Um, but we actually have a machine. We take all of our samples and we put them in the, on this little carousel, and they go around. And a machine sticks a needle in, takes a sample, and then prints out a little. It looks like a receipt, and it it tells you the pH, the sugar contents, and the VDK number comes out of there too. Somebody from the lab. I'm done talking to you. Yeah, I no, talk that, to one of those actually, white coats. That would be way more interesting. Here's the thing. Or way less interesting. I'm <laughs> sure that the audience is like, oh, my God, just I, I don't up. care about this. Yeah. So so the lab is super interesting. I also think like, man, I'm only, I've only worked there for like three months. I would like to say publicly that like – I don't know what, what's the disclaimer like. Yeah, these are, you do not. These are your beliefs, and this is what you beliefs. think. You're not here representing right. Goose I, Island. I really You're hope just that, talking about your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really hope that like Jared, our head brewer, is not like shaking his head right now. Like, what is he talking? About? <laughs> um, no, but so so the you know so we're doing that. We're propagating yeast. We're pitching yeast after fermentation. We're monitoring the fermentation, making sure it's happy and healthy the whole time. And this is all in order to um, to get good beer. At the end of the process, we need to um, take as much of the yeast out of solution as possible. When yeast is in solution, right, it can look as thick as like a, a like a thick milkshake, right? Nobody wants that on, in a pint. Like it doesn't taste good. It, it tastes kind of meaty, and yeast cells don't taste good particularly. Um, they also don't look particularly good. I mean, they can be a flavor, like yeah. a component they, they of the can. greater yes, flavor, yes, but right. you don't want to eat. Yeah. You don't want to eat that bready, nasty right, beer. Right. Depending on depending on the beer, we try and remove as much yeast as possible. Um, and that's actually what I'm doing this month. I'm working on the our centrifuge machine, which uh, we pipe beer into the centrifuge. It spins very quickly, spins the beer very quickly. Heavier yeast cells get spun towards the edges, dump that, or you know, it's usually not a lot, but whatever yeast does come out have clear bright beer that is uh, that we then carbonate in line and uh put in a tank ready for the packaging team to take over and put it into a bottle or keg i would say just just like so if you're kind of a novice beer drinker or you drink cheap beer like a just a thought of to try and kind of explain what that flavor is like if you think of some of the Belgian beers have like a, a strong yeast flavor to them on purpose and can be very good. Yeah. But it's a strong flavor and it's something that you want to monitor and calibrate. Right. So it's not just like you wouldn't put, you know, cayenne pepper in every dish. Yeah. You don't leave all the yeast in all the time. Yeah, definitely. And like a good, it, right, if you're not a beer drinker, a good example of like something you can easily get is like a Blue Moon has... I couldn't tell you how many yeast cells, but it has more more than the average in suspension. You can see that haze. You can usually see sediment at the bottle, the bottom of the bottle. That's what that. Yeah, indicates. it doesn't taste like 
a Budweiser right. draft. You know, it doesn't have that clear crystal look. Right. That or a clear crystal look of a Goose IPA. Well, I mean, you're on brand in both cases. Synergy, man. <laughs> um, man, it's fun to talk to you. Oh, thank you. What a what? Just kind of as like a a question that occurs to me that I'd like to ask before I leave is like, what is there about the job of brewing that would surprise people, like good or bad or whatever? Like, what what do people maybe not know about it? I, I don't know if people know or don't know. A huge portion of the job is cleaning. I think you as a home brewer would know. Absolutely. This. If you make b- beer at home, like you've got to clean all those bottles oh, if yeah. you bottle condition. Oh, yeah. And you probably do for the first, I don't know, however many. Yes. Yes. I agree. <laughs> so um, a lot of people like to say that we're glorified janitors as brewers. Um, we spend a lot of time cleaning and sanitizing tanks because, like we talked about earlier, this is we're making an environment that is perfect for the growth of microorganisms. And we do not want – there are a lot of micro, micro – there are – you know, we don't want all the microorganisms in there except for the one that we do want in there. So that's, you know, 0.0001% of the microorganism. So we spend a lot of time cleaning and then sanitizing. It's when- like being a scientist. It's like doing like a water experiment, right? Because oh, you're yeah. creating this, you know, this reaction. You're creating this, uh, this natural phenomenon and yeah. you have to be precise about it. So it's not like cleaning your room to make it look pretty. You're no. cleaning it for uh, a reason that's going to be reflected in the product yes because potentially if one cell which is tiny you can't see with your naked eye one cell of some organism gets in our beer that we don't want in there it can ruin an entire batch it it can ruin the entire brewery um there you know there's the story of uh jolly pumpkin i don't know if there's a rumor or true or so i don't want to offend anybody from jolly pumpkin but you know they're a great sour beer brewery they make great beers Mm -hmm. i love their beers Apparently, they didn't intend to be a sour beer brewery. What? This was all accidental. They were making, you know, their pale ales or lagers or whatever they were making and accidentally introduced some wild microorganisms that um, that took over and has now fermented all of their beers, that does all their fermentation, which is fantastic in their case, but that's not what we want in, Go- in Goose Island. We're totally. And that's the luxury of being a home brewer. Process. It's or being a small shop like you can experiment oh, yeah. with stuff oh, like yeah, that yeah, and yeah. I, we absolutely did and yeah. you know if you're a home brewer and you never made a bad beer you're not taking enough risks right i think that's true that's a try good stuff point. try yeah. something new uh make some bad beer that is not what they tell me but, <laughs> so actually, your job is not to, <laughs> make, not bad to make bad beer although we are encouraged we're highly encouraged we have a little pilot system that makes you know 60 gallons at a time and we are highly encouraged to, to take a day, go in, do basically a homebrew batch, except it's a very large professional homebrew batch. And, oh. say, and they say, do what you want. Fun. It is very fun. Yeah, to um, like try and innovate. And, oh, you know, yeah. Oh, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, they're all about that. So that's really cool, too. But, it's, it, you know, there's a lot of cleaning. It's a lot of walking. All right, my man. Well, thanks for talking to me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care.